Chapter Sixteen of First on the Moon by Jeff Sutton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Craig studied the scene. He lay at one end of the great crescent of rock forming Backbone Ridge, the other end of which ended about a half a mile from Red Dog. The floor of the crater between the rocket and the nearest rock formations was fairly level and unbroken. The arced formation itself was a veritable jungle of rocks of every type, gnarled, twisted rock that hugged the ground, jutting black pinnacles piercing the sky, bizarre bubble formations which appeared like weird ebony Eskimo cities, and great fantastic ledges which extruded from the earth at varying angles, forming black caves against their bases. Whole armies could hide there, he thought, only the fugitive couldn't hide. Oxygen was still the paramount issue. He'd have to thread his way through the terrible rock jungle to the distant tip of the crescent, then plunge across the open plain to the rocket if he hoped to survive. The distance between the horns of the crescent appeared about three miles. He pondered it thoughtfully, then got on the interphones and outlined his plan to Porcheska. Okay, I know better than to argue, the chief said dolefully when he had finished. But watch your oxygen. Damn the oxygen, Craig thought irritably. He studied the labyrinth of rock in which his quarry had vanished, then rose and started across the plain in a direct line for the opposite tip of the crescent. The first moments were the hardest. After that, he knew he must be almost out of range of the sniper's weapon. Perhaps even the other had not seen his maneuver. He forced himself into a slow trot, his breath whistling in his ears, and his body sodden inside his suit. Perspiration stung his eyes, his leg muscles ached almost intolerably, and every movement seemed made on sheer willpower. The whimsical thought crossed his mind that Gotch had never painted this side of the picture nor was it mentioned in the Manual of Space Survival. He was thankful that the plane between the two tips of the crescent was fairly even. He moved quickly, but it was a long time before he reached the further tip of the crescent. He wondered if he had been observed from Red Dog. Well, no matter, he thought. He had cut the sniper's sole avenue of escape. Victory over his quarry was just a matter of time a matter of waiting for him to appear. He picked a vantage point, a high rocky ledge, which commanded all approaches to his position. After briefing Prochaska, he settled back to wait, thinking that the fugitive must be extremely low on oxygen. Long minutes passed. Once or twice he thought he saw movement among the rocks and started to lift his rifle, but there was no movement. Illusions, he told himself. His eyes were playing him tricks. The bizarre sea of rocks confronting him was a study in black and white. The intolerable light of sun-struck surfaces contrasting with the Stygian blackness of the shadows. His eyes began to ache, and he shifted them from time to time to shut out the glare. He was sweating again, and there was a dull ache at the back of his head. Precious time was fleeing. He had to resolve the chase soon. All at once he saw movement 
that was not an illusion. He half rose, raising his rifle when dust spurted from the ground a few feet to his left. He cursed and threw himself to the ground, rolling until he was well below the ridge. One thing was certain, the sniper had the ridge well under control. The red dog watcher must have warned him, he thought. He looked around. Off to one side, a small rill cut through the rocks running in the sniper's general direction. He looked back toward the ridge, hesitated, then decided to gamble on the rill. He moved crab-like along the side of the slope until he reached its edge and peered over. The bottom was a pool of darkness. He lowered himself over the edge with some misgivings, searching for holds with his hands and feet. His boot unexpectedly touched bottom. Craig stood for a moment on the floor of the rill. His body was clothed in black velvet shadows, but it was shallow enough to leave his head in the sunlight. He moved cautiously forward, half expecting the sniper to appear in front of him. His nerves were taut, edgy. Relax, boy. You're strung like a violin, he told himself. Take it easy. A bend in the rill cut off the sun, leaving him in a well of blackness. He hadn't counted on that. Before he moved another dozen steps, he realized the rill wasn't the answer. He'd have to chance getting back into the open. More time was lost. He felt the steep sides until he located a series of breaks in the wall, then slung his rifle over his shoulder and inched upward until his head cleared the edge. The sun's sudden glare blinded him. Involuntarily, he jerked his head sideways, almost losing his hold in the process. He clung to the wall for a moment before laboriously pulling his body over the edge. He lay prone against the rocks, half expecting to be greeted by a hail of bullets. He waited quietly without moving, then carefully raised his head. Off to one side was a series of mounds. He crawled toward them without moving his belly from the ground. When he reached the first one, he half rose and scuttled forward until he found a view of the twisted rocks where he had last seen the sniper. The scene ahead was a still-life painting. It seemed incongruous that somewhere among the quiet rocks death moved in the form of a man. He decided against penetrating further into the tangle of rocks. He'd wait. He settled back, conscious that time was fleeing. Skipper, are you checking your oxygen? The chief's voice rattled against his eardrums. It was filled with alarm. Listen, I have no time, Craig started to growl. His words were clipped short as his eyes involuntarily took the reading of his oxygen gauge. Low, low. He calculated quickly. He was well past the point of no return. Too low to make the long trip back to Bandit. He was done, gone. A plucked gosling. He had brought himself a coffin, and he'd rest there for all eternity, boxed in by weird tombstones of Crater Arzachal. Adam Craig, the man in the moon. He grinned wryly. Well, at least his quarry was going with him. He wouldn't greet his maker empty-handed. He tersely informed Prochaska of his predicament, 
then recklessly moved to a high vantage point and scanned the rocks beyond. He had to make every second count. Light and shadow, light and shadow. Somewhere in the crisscross of light and shadow was a man-form, a blob of protoplasm like himself, a living thing that had to be stamped out before the last of his precious oxygen was gone. He was the executioner. Somewhere ahead, a doomed man waited in the docks, waited for him to come. There were two men from opposite sides of the world, battling to death in Hell's own backyard. Only he'd win, win before he died. He was scanning the rocky tableau when the sniper moved into his field of vision, far to one side of Craig's position. He was running with short, choppy steps, threading between the rocks toward Red Dog. His haste and apparent disregard of exposing himself puzzled Craig for a moment. Then he smiled grimly. Almost out of oxygen, he thought. Well, that makes two of us. But he still had to make sure his quarry died. The thought spurred him to action. He turned and scrambled back toward the tip of Backbone Ridge to cut the sniper's escape route. He reached the end rocks and waited. A few moments later, he sighted a figure scrambling toward him. He raised his rifle, thinking it was too far for a shot, then lowered it again. The sniper began moving more slowly and cautiously, then became lost to sight in a maze of rock outcroppings. Craig waited impatiently, aware that precious moments were fleeing. He was afraid to look at his gauge, plagued by the sense of vanishing moments. Time was running out, and eternity was drawing near, near to Adam Craig as well as the sniper. The rocks extended before him, a kaleidoscopic pattern of black and white. Somewhere in the torturous labyrinth was the man he had to kill before he himself died. He watched nervously, trying to suppress the tension pulling at his muscles. A nerve in his cheek twitched, and he shook his head without removing his eyes from the rocks ahead. Still, there was no sign of the other. Who was the stalker and who was the stalk? The question bothered him. Perhaps even at that instant, the sniper was drawn a bead. Then he'd be free to reach Red Dog. Safety. Craig decided he couldn't wait. He'd have to seek the other out somehow, flush him from cover. He looked around. Off to one side, a shelf of black rock angled incongruously into the sky. Its sides were steep, but its top would command all approaches to the tip of the crescent. He made his way to the base of the shelf and began scrambling up its steep sides, finding it difficult to manage toe and handholds. He slipped from time to time, hanging desperately on to keep himself from rolling back to the rocks below. Just below the top he rested, panting, fighting for breath, conscious of his heart thudding in his ears. He had to hurry. Slowly, laboriously, he pulled himself up the last few feet and lay panting atop the shelf, none too soon. The sniper scrambled out of the rocks a scant hundred yards from Craig's position. He raised his rifle, then hesitated. The red dog crewman had fallen to his hands and knees and was fighting to rise. He pushed his hands against the plane 
in an attempt to get his feet under him. Craig lowered his rifle and watched curiously. The sniper finally succeeded in getting to his feet. He stood for a moment, weaving, before moving toward Craig's shelf with a faltering zigzag gait. Craig raised the rifle and tried to line the sights. He had difficulty holding the weapon steady. He started to pull the trigger when the man fell again. Craig hesitated. The sniper floundered in the ash, managed to pull himself half erect. He weaved with a few faltering steps and plunged forward on his face. Craig watched for a moment. There was no movement. The black blob of the suit lay with the stillness of the rocks in the brazen heat of the crater. So that's the way a man dies when his oxygen runs out, he thought. He just plops down, jerks a little, and departs with as little ceremony as that. He grinned crookedly, thinking he had just watched the rehearsal of his own demise. He watched for a moment longer before turning his face back toward the plain. Red Dog was a bear half-mile away, a clear level half-mile from the tip of Backbone Ridge. That's how close the sniper had come to living. He mulled the thought with a momentary surge of hope. Red Dog? Why not? If he could shoot his way into the space cabin, he'd live. Live. The thought galvanized him to action. He slung the rifle over his shoulder and scrambled down the slopes, heedless of the danger of ripping his suit. He could make it. He had to make it. He gained the bottom and paused to catch his breath before starting toward the rocket. A glance at his oxygen meter told him that the race was futile. Still, he forced his legs into a run, threading through the rocks toward the floor of the crater. He reached the tip of the crescent, panting heavily, and plunged across the level floor of the plain. His legs were leaden, his lungs burned, and sweat filled his eyes, stinging and blurring his vision. Still he ran. The rocket rose from the crater floor, growing larger, larger. He tried to keep in a straight path, aware that he was moving in a crazy zigzag course. The rocket loomed bigger, bigger. It appeared immense. Caution, he told himself. There's an hombre up there with a rifle. He halted, feeling his body weave, and tried to steady himself. High up in the nose of Red Dog, the hatch was a dancing black shadow, black with movement. He pulled the rifle from his shoulder and moved the control to full automatic, falling to his knees as he did so. Strange, the ashy floor of the crater was erupting in small fountains just to his side. Danger, he thought, take cover. The warning bells were still ringing in his brain as he slid forward on his stomach and tried to steady his weapon. Dust spurted across his faceplate. The black rectangle of the hatch danced crazily in his sights. He pulled back on the trigger, feeling the heavy weapon buck against his shoulder, firing until the clip was empty. His fingers hurriedly searched his belt for the spare clip. Gone. Somehow he'd lost them. He'd have to rush the rocket. He got to his feet, weaving dizzily, and forced his legs to move. Once or twice he fell, regaining his feet with difficulty. He heard a voice. It took him a minute to realize it was his own. 
He was babbling to Prochaska, trying to tell him. The sky was black. No, it was white. Dazzling white. White with heat. Red with flame. He saw Red Dog with difficulty. The rocket was a hotel, complete with room clerk. He laughed inanely. A single, please. No, I'll only be staying for the night. He fell again. This time it took him longer to regain his feet. He stumbled, walked, stumbled. His eyes sought the rocket. It was weaving, swaying back and forth. Foolish, he thought. There was no wind in the crater Arsical. No air, no wind, no nothing. Nothing but death. Wait. There was someone sitting on top of the rocket, a giant of a man with a long white beard. He watched Craig and smiled. He reached out a hand and beckoned. Craig ran. The sky exploded within his brain. His legs buckled, and he felt his faceplate smash against the ashy floor. For all eternity, he thought, the blackness came. Adam Craig opened his eyes. He was lying on his back. Above him, the dome of the sky formed the great black canopy, sprinkled with brilliant stars. His thoughts, chaotic memories, gradually stabilized, and he remembered his mad flight toward Red Dog. This couldn't be death, he thought. The spirits didn't wear spacesuits. He sensed movement and twisted his head to one side. Gordon Nagel, the oxygen man's face, behind the heavy plate, was thin, gaunt, but he was smiling. Craig thought that he had never seen such a wonderful smile. Nagel's lips crinkled into speech. I was beginning to wonder when you'd make it. Even his voice was different, Craig thought. The nasal twang was gone. It was soft, mellow, deep with concern. He thought it was the most wonderful sound he had ever heard. Thanks, Gordon, he said simply. He spoke the words thinking it was the first time he'd ever addressed the other by his first name. How'd you ever locate me? Started early, Nagel said. I was pretty sure you'd push yourself past the point of no return. You seem pretty set on getting that critter. It's a wonder you located me. He managed to push himself to a sitting position. Porcheska didn't think I could, but I did. Matter of fact, I was pretty close to you when you broke from the rocks heading for Red Dog. Red Dog. Craig twisted his head and looked toward the rocket. He's lying at the base of the rocket, Nagel said, in answer to his unspoken question. Your last volley sprayed him. Skipper, Prochaska's voice broke impatiently into his earphones. Still alive, Craig answered. Yeah, just. Prochaska's voice was peevish. You are lucky with that last burst of fire. Thanks to my good marksmanship, Craig quipped weakly. I wish you'd quit acting like a company of Marines and get back here. Okay, Colonel. Prochaska cursed, and Craig grinned happily. It was good to be alive, even in Crater Arzachal. Nagel helped him to his feet, and Craig stood for a moment, feeling the strength surge back into his body. He breathed deeply, luxuriating in the plentiful oxygen. Fresh oxygen. Fresh as a maiden's kiss, he thought. Oxygen was gold. More than gold, it was life. Ready now? Ready as I will ever be, Craig answered. Lead on, Gordon. 
They had almost reached Bandit when Craig broke the silence. Why did you come to the moon, Gordon? Nagel slowed his steps, then stopped and turned. Why did you come, Commander? Because, because... Craig floundered. Because someone had to come, he blurted. Because I was supposed to be good in my field. His eyes met Nagel's. The oxygen man was smiling faintly. I'm good in mine, too, he said. He chewed at the bottom of his lip for a moment. I could give the same reasons as you, he said finally. Truthfully, though, there's more to it. He looked at Craig defiantly. I was a misfit on Earth, Commander, a square peg in a round hole. I had dreams, dreams, but they were not the dreams of Earth. They were dreams of places in which there were no people. He gave an odd half-smile. Of course, I didn't tell the psych doctors that. There's plenty I didn't tell him myself, said Craig. Commander, you might not understand this, but I like the moon. He looked away, staring into the bleakness of Arsicol. Craig's eyes followed his. The plain beyond was an ash-filled bowl, broken by weird ledges, spires, grotesque rocks. In the distance, Backbone Ridge crawled along the floor of the basin, forming its fantastic labyrinths. Yet, yet there was something fascinating, almost beautiful, about the crater. It was the kind of a place a man might cross the gulfs of space to see. Nagel had crossed those gulfs. Yes, he could understand. I'll never return to Earth, he said almost dreamily. Nonsense. Not nonsense, Commander, but I'm not unhappy at the prospect. Do you remember the lines? Under the wide and starry sky, oh, dig the grave and let me lie. Well, that's the way I feel about the moon. You'll be happy enough to get back to Earth, Craig predicted. I won't get back, Commander. Don't want to get back. He turned broodingly toward Bandit. Maybe we'd better move on, Craig said gently. I crave to get out of this suit. End of Chapter 16